Hello and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. We're into the first break of the year. It was quite a fast-paced start with game after game. Now they've got a week off after coming home from the Cayman Islands. A one-and-one split. I think the results are probably what we expected going in without AZ FUD. Then we learn that they lose Caroline Ducharme for both of the games. One-and-one is probably what should have been expected and it was just a matter of how the performances were there was some good in the ucla i think the way that they fought back was good and didn't just roll over and die kind of like they did at nc state and it wasn't totally on page to keep a minute plenty of bad too and then i think kansas was just a matter of survival and getting through as best you could so that you could get into the week off and start really figuring things out in life without AZ and maybe life without Caroline and a team where half the rotation consists of freshmen. So it's quite a spot that this team is in. What did you think of starting with UCLA? What was your big takeaway from that game? I feel like my big takeaway from UCLA is a lot of things that we thought would be issues were the issues, right? Like the rebounding was an issue and they were, outsized and that showed they couldn't get the offense going and relied not only on pace but too much on pace and against the ucla team that has so many options on offense that was a problem as well so i think those two kind of things were expected and then i mean the perimeter defense was really bad too but i think part of that was like a a game plan and trying to not let Lauren Betts get 25 and 15 on you. They focus a lot of the defensive energy inside, and that came at the expense of UCLA getting a lot of threes, and they hit their threes and made UConn play pay for that game plan. Okay, since you watch a lot more UCLA than I do, was that just Lauren Betts having an off night? Because it felt like for a lot of that game, all that she did that was impressive was just simply being significantly taller than everyone else on the floor. I didn't get wowed by the way she played, but was that just because UConn put so much attention on her? Was it just an off night? Or is she just simply a very large human? I mean, I think some of it, her talent obviously comes from her size, but I think UConn put a lot of attention on her too. Um, They had, I feel like, three people in the lane like most of the game and weren't really letting her kind of have room to work. And I think that was effective on limiting her somewhat but like we said came at the expense of everything else i do find it interesting to your point about that might have been a game plan letting ucla take shots and beat you from the three-point line because after the game gino said the defense wasn't what he was concerned about and then the next day afterwards on the radio post game show cd said that she thought the defense was fine so that kind of makes a little more sense because I couldn't figure out how they thought the defense wasn't a problem when it was letting up so many open shots. But if that was part of the game plan, that makes more sense. For me, what stood out for a lot of the UCLA game was just, man, no AZ, no Carol. Aaliyah's having an off night. They just have nothing on offense behind Paige Beckers if, if Aaliyah's not going. And we saw what happened when they started to get secondary scoring. Aubrey Griffin had a really good second quarter, and that's when UConn surged. And it was, it, it wasn't an even game. UConn pulled ahead. It was crazy the way the game split down in the first and third quarters. UCLA dominated, and the second and fourth, UConn didn't dominate as much. Obviously, as we can tell by the final scoreline, it wasn't enough to dominate, but. They were the better team in those quarters. It's just hard when you've got Paige, and it shows how much this team needs Leah because she can't have two off nights the way that she did in the Caymans, and ha- and this team expects to do much of anything. Paige is really good, but just look at what happened with Iowa last year. The only reason that team was in the national championship game was because Caitlin Clark went into God mode and was scoring almost 40 points every single night. That should not be a realistic expectation for any player. And Paige was phenomenal in both games down in the Caymans, despite either being banged up with something or fatigued. It seemed like there was something going on with her. And they're still managing her minutes, but 
I mean, if there's any concerns about what Page looks like after that ACL injury, I think those are firmly gone. I have no concerns there, but no Aaliyah. Well, a bad night from Aaliyah. Page doing all she can. You're not counting on Nika Mule to be a scorer. If you're in that position, whatever Nika gives you as a scorer, you say thank you and you move on. But the freshmen I think we've seen are just so volatile. Caden's had that 14-point outburst at NC State and hasn't played all that much since and is only shooting 12% from three since then. Ice hasn't really figured it out. CD said after the game that she thinks she's just really overwhelmed and just looks like a freshman, which is kind of what the expectation should be under normal circumstances. And KK and Ashlyn, I thought, gave them good minutes in both games, but they're not natural, pure scorers either. They can give you some points here and there, but any if you're expecting anything more than like 10 points per game out of those two, you're you're asking for a lot, so... It just stood out to me so much throughout the course of that UCLA game with Aaliyah not being the All-American type player that we know she can be that they are so thin on offense. And if Paige and Aaliyah aren't carrying their weight every single night, they're going to have a lot of trouble scoring points. Yeah, I agree. And I think Aaliyah is the key there. I think this team is in a lot better shape even come like Sunday if Aaliyah just figures it out, I think having that second option, especially at the level we know Aaliyah Edwards can play, is enough to get them past a lot of teams in the country. But we're not talking like about a horrible loss to UCLA, right? Like it was 11 points, I think, at the end of the game. And UCLA is a team that looks like one of the best teams in the country right now. They're not that far off. I think people are probably a little bit more in panic mode than they need to be about this team. But... Their options got a lot thinner when AZ went down and with Caroline not being healthy right now. So they they need Aaliyah at that level consistently to kind of be in that top group of teams right now. Yeah, so the difference in the game was that UCLA outscored UConn by a greater margin in their quarters than UConn did UCLA in their quarters. I mean, UCLA probably leaves that game and says, man, we got a lot to work on. When you get outscored 47 to 28 in the second and fourth quarters, they just outscored UConn 50 to 20. I think that is really a big key in this game. And something that I feel like we've seen that this UConn team, it's not the same problems as NC State, at least on a on a global scale. Yes, they've had defensive issues They've had some stagnation problems, but it's not for all 40 minutes like we saw against UCLA. It's bits and pieces here, and that's something that I think it's progress, especially progress in the shape of having to take a huge step backward because of AZ. So this team might be further behind than we expected them to be, but I think you could also make an argument that they're a little ahead of where they should be considering who they had out there. I mean, it doesn't... Obviously, losing AZ for the year or the the ACL is tough, but then you really start to think about what they don't have. And Jana, 6'5", gives them height down low, gives them another rebounder, another physical post player from what we heard. I still just think about those highlights that we saw from the U19 World Cup where she looked like the second coming of Brianna Stewart. Mm-hmm. And Ayana Patterson who I can't say this enough, how good she looked for a freshman at the start of last season. And then that knee just apparently became a factor. And then Caroline and AZ, all of a sudden you're down four players that you expected to be really key contributors. And now it's a rotation of four veterans, four guys that, you know, for the most part, it has not been smooth. I'm not trying to say that, but four players that you generally know what you're going to get in page Aubrey Nika and Aaliyah then the rest of your rotation is four freshmen and we're seeing the ups and downs that the freshmen go through because they were not expected to be five through eight in the rotation they were supposed to be nine through 13 or maybe eight through 13 so there has to be a freshman on the floor at all moments if you take any of those four veterans off you're going to have a freshman out there. You're going to have multiple freshmen out there. So some of it is 
yeah, UConn has a lot to work on as a team. And another part of it is they're going to live and die by the, these freshmen for a little while, I think. And that's a hard place to be in in November, December. Like, those freshmen are going to take time. But I kind of agree. I think they're ahead of what you can expect them to be at, given especially the recent changes that they've had and what this team was expecting to look like. And I think it also, like, the consideration, too, that they've played, like, the strongest strength of schedule in the country of any team that you're talking about nationally at this point. Like, I think people will probably see the two losses and are like, the sky is falling, but they've played a really tough schedule, too. Yeah, and it's a lot tougher than we thought it was going to be at the start of the year. I mean, UCLA, I think it's fair to say, is what everyone expected them to be, mm -hmm. right? NC State is... I mean, I, has there been a team that's been more underrated? I, I know we're, what, seven games in, three weeks in. Mm -hmm. But they weren't even ranked at the start of the year. They were picked eighth in the ACC, and now they're the number five team in the country. So this is, I, I think LSU last year might actually qualify for that too, but we don't need to talk yeah. about that. But UConn's two losses are to top five teams, and... NC State has looked, outside of that one really weird game where they almost lost to URI, they've looked really good. Mm -hmm. And as we saw, Kansas is no pushover. They should have beaten Kansas. I think it would have been nice if that Kansas win was a little more comfortable. But that's just a capable power conference team with some good players. And it wasn't pretty, but UConn got the job done. And that's just kind of what they're going to have to do. And I don't anticipate this game against Texas coming up to be pretty at all, by any means. But right now, get the results, and then then it lightens up for you a little bit. I mean, Ball State, they're not going to have any trouble with Ball State. That's its own thing. UNC isn't anything special. Louisville's not anything special. Then you go into Big East play in Toronto Metropolitan, so get through this Texas game, and I think you buy yourself just a little more time to continue working on stuff and continue fixing it because bits and pieces are there. It's not all terrible. It's not all great. It's just very inconsistent, and it's the mark of a team that doesn't totally know who it is right now because it's without its what it expected to be its second most productive player. And I go back to the roundtable that we did on the blog where we were both saying that it's almost like a bold prediction to have Paige be the leading scorer on this team. and Because AZ was probably going to get all those opportunities from Paige's distribution, and that never came to fruition. So you basically have 15 points a game at the, on, at the bare minimum sitting out with AZ. Caroline, it's a little tougher just because she hasn't been healthy, but even if she was giving you 10 minutes, 10 points a game, there's 35 points right there that you need to replace on top of, what, 10 rebounds per game at least that Ayana and Jana were going to provide. So you're missing out on more than a double-double per game from those four players. And as much as AZ's got that injury history, maybe it's you needed to rely on someone more than... You, you shouldn't have relied so heavily on AZ, but that's just the life that UConn has had the last three years. Exactly. Yeah. What stood out to you from the Kansas game? It felt like it was just more of the same. I think that was my biggest takeaway. It was just like, it was the same thing as UCLA, but a lesser opponent. Like, I didn't have a really strong take on it other than kind of just like, this is exactly what we saw the day before. Uh, but they had enough to get there yeah i think what kansas showed it started against ucla but it really came through against kansas is aubrey might actually be the key to this year's team because when she's on it seems like the team is rolling and when she's not being that impactful force like she scored a lot this weekend but even if she wasn't scoring a lot the kind of the way we saw her play against maryland where she was just so impactful and only finished with like eight or nine points it feels like she's the engine powering this UConn team right now. And when that's going, everything else kind of falls into place around it. And 
it hasn't been as consistent. I thought it was actually really notable. Afterwards, so the radio broadcast, like, simulcast or streamed, uh, broadcast, I think is actually probably the proper word, Gino's post-game, and someone asked about Aubrey, and Gino was way more negative than positive after UCLA, saying, yeah, well, we need that Aubrey sooner than the second quarter when we're already down by however many points. So, yeah, Aubrey was great when she was great, but it can't come that late. And I imagine he said the same thing to her in the locker room or during shoot-around or something that, look, you can't just wait and pick your spots like you did earlier in your career. If the way she played against Kansas is a sign that she can establish herself earlier in games and make an impact every night, that's a good step. And I think it's something that is going to bear watching against Texas on Sunday. Agreed. I think if you see kind of her come out and have that impact again, that's a really good sign that this team could consistently get this going forward. If you see it in two straight games and a week apart, I think that's a good sign. I would say like that is probably one of the biggest things I would look for against Texas. And then the other thing is just like can Aaliyah turn it on for four quarters because I think a lot of this team's issues would be masked by Aaliyah playing like we all know Aaliyah is capable of. Yeah, it's just like having Paige Becker's back. She yeah. fixes a lot of the problems that we would be talking about otherwise. I mean, my God, you don't have Paige. We're talking about how this is the worst UConn offense we've ever seen. But Paige gives you 25 a night and you figure out the rest. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and we haven't seen that four quarters performance from Aaliyah yet this year. It's been on and off. It's been like a leaky faucet. So mm-hmm. those two. That's yeah. that's your triumvirate right there, actually. Those three. Because I mean, throw in Nika there too, because Nika's had a weird start to the year. She hasn't totally been Nika but then I was going through looking at the numbers and UConn is better in like every category across the board when she's on the floor so it doesn't feel like she's having the impact that she normally has but it also doesn't feel like but then the numbers tell a different story and say UConn's still a better team with her on the floor so I don't really know what to make of Nika so far yeah I feel like it's tough because having Paige on the floor changes her role so much, but like you still have that defensive edge that she brings, and that doesn't necessarily like show up in her individual numbers, right? Like it's not just defense is so hard to measure, Um, and I think there's like a significant um, kind of contribution that she makes there. Even if like you just think back to like the Maryland game and they had her on sellers most of that game with that. Her ability to kind of one-on-one defend another team's best guard is not something you're going to see in the numbers, but maybe you're going to see in those kind of on-off stats. Yeah, I think offensively Nika is just the epitome of what this whole team is going through. In no one really knows how the pieces are supposed to fit because these weren't the pieces that they expected to have. And Gino said that, that everything they did in the preseason is kind of out the window and you have to start over because everything you did in the preseason was centered around having AZ and, you know, Caroline being a contributor. And now you don't have one major three-point threat, another three-point shooter that the team's always very high on, Caroline. I don't think her numbers have ever been great from three. But also just someone that, when they need her, has a habit of stepping up. I for, forgot about it until I came across it this offseason. The game she had against Creighton, the first game she she comes back from the concussion has a huge game pulls UConn back from a double digit deficit in the fourth quarter. And it's just the perfect Caroline performance. So I think with her, it's less about measuring her stats and how much she has and more when she does it, but it's hard to get that win when she's not out there at all. So they just, kind of have to build the plane while they're flying it right now. And I think the way that Nika seems to be struggling to find that spot on offense. But then I say that I also feel like she's been a little bit of a better scorer this year. So it's almost just, she doesn't know where to fit it. And she doesn't necessarily know how to play alongside Paige again. And as with a lot of these problems with the team, 
it's just going to have to be figured out in practice and with time on the court during games. And that's not a quick process. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think it's just all consistency, right? Like I think we've seen at this point, like flashes from everyone that are positive signs, but it, they just can't bring it all together consistently yet, which I think is a better problem to have than not seeing anything from individuals. So it's just a matter of figuring out how to pull it all together. I really thought this was going to be the year where we got back to a really boring UConn team where nothing really <laughs> happened because they just blew everyone out. What fun would that be, though? <laughs> I'd take it. Yeah, fair. <laughs> Those were my early days of covering the team. I miss it sometimes. It's a lot easier. <laughs> it's a lot easier you know, to if... cover a team that wins. Well, actually, not really, because then what do you talk about at the same time? <laughs> Right, right. I mean, you would get into the AAC games and they'd be really boring and there'd not even be anything to ask at a certain point. But I would rather have a team that can't figure out what it's doing that has everyone instead of... I just... I don't even know what to make of half the things that are happening because I don't even know what to make of half the players that are out there on the floor. Like, I know KK is going to be a really good player. She's She might be the best point guard in the country by the time she's a senior. But I don't know what she's going to do in a, on a given night. And Ashlyn, going to be a really good player. I think you see flashes of it here and there. I thought she gave him some really good minutes against Kansas, even if it didn't show up on the stat sheet. But she hasn't really produced a whole lot, and I think they need some of that out of her. And then, I mean, Cadence is just largely entertaining because it is a total roller coaster with her. <laughs> you get the highest highs... And then immediately you go over that hump and you are flying down towards the ground. There's not much of a middle ground with her. So. Well, as you could expect from a freshman, it's it's the norm. Yeah. Yeah. And we would be saying, great. They'll, they'll have her for, she would basically be the Aubrey Griffin of a few years ago. She had 26 points at Seton Hall and it was like, wow. That's great whenever you get it again. We'd be saying that about Cadence if they had AZ and Carol. Just like right. if we just started there, not even talking about Yana and Jana. Exactly. Then just sticking with the freshmen, I think someone who's really interesting to look at is Ice Brady because expectations were so high from her, from Gino in the preseason. And I think what we're seeing now is that it's unfair that those were the expectations because she looks like a freshman. And that should be perfectly fine. There should be no issues with that. And you see the flashes of what's there and all of that. But they need so much more out of her. And that's not her fault. That's not UConn's fault. That's no one's fault. That's just the way that everything has fallen for them. I think the shots are going to fall. Like I, Her shooting percentage is so low. It's in the 20%. But it feels like half the shots she takes rim out and just don't fall but she takes good looks i like that she hasn't shied away from taking what she feels like are her shots and it's not like these are air balls or these are bricks like we've seen a lot of yukon bigs attempt threes in the past and they don't always go that great these don't look like they shouldn't be taken they're just not going in so i'm not necessarily worried about her scoring but cd mentioned after the game that she looks like a freshman and that it's a fast pace of the game. And what I think it might be is she's trying to knock the rust off from not playing for an entire year. And it's not that she could keep working out and keep her skills sharp, but she's also trying to adjust to college life and only got a few months in with this team. And not only is she trying to do that, she's trying to do it at the same time that she starts her college career and is playing at the college level and I think we're just seeing those two things coming together and it's making life really hard for her because when you watch her it's not like she's not capable it's not like the ideas aren't there all the time but sometimes it just feels like a I guess an effort thing not saying that she's not working hard but she just has to figure out how to find her higher gear to play at the college level. I think she's still playing at high school speed, the way that kind of CD said, and she's got to find a way to get to that next gear. 
And once she can do that, and maybe some shots start to fall on a consistent basis, I can see it all come together for her. So I envision there's just one game where it all clicks, and she puts up 15 and 8, and is just a force down low. And Aaliyah has a great game because she's feeding off it. And like, who cares if it's against Butler, who doesn't have anyone taller than five foot two? <laughs> Just to see her do it, I think, would be really good for her own confidence, the confidence of the team around her. But it's it's rough out there sometimes, and it's not like they can do anything else, though, because besides Aaliyah, we saw Amari both games, and I thought she held her own against UCLA and gave UConn some good minutes, but it was, it was ugly against Kansas, and she played, I think, 14 minutes across the two games, and didn't get a single rebound. And when you're the tallest player on your team, you got to be getting at least one rebound when you play that much. Like, I don't care that she didn't score. I don't care necessarily. She had one really bad foul, whatever. That's going to happen. It's not like she's played a ton. You got to rebound, though. And to her credit, she had, like, one phenomenal box out against UCLA. So if she can take that and just build on it, I don't know, maybe I'm being too optimistic i still believe there's some sort of contributor in there because every now and then we see a flash of her and gino gives her a chance and there's something there but i think she just really has trouble building on it and especially in practice she doesn't always put her best foot forward from the short little clips that we see so they need ice they have no other choice but to just keep throwing ice out there and hoping that she can figure it out and that's probably the best method considering it's not like this is a talent efficiency issue. Get the rust off, get acclimated to the speed of the college game. The more time she gets on the court, the more she plays, the more the closer she's going to get to figuring it out. But it would be nice if that happened a little quicker. Yeah, I agree. I think they they need someone else to step up and be consistent in the front court. I think the, like the only way that this team's going to have deep success in March is probably that happening um, sooner rather than later would be better but there's still a lot of time until March as well yeah at least show like a flash of it at some point don't even have to have like this big dominant performance but I still feel like we're waiting on just a moment where we go oh that's what ice can do yeah she she had a few games where she was shooting the ball well but I still feel like that's like 1% of her game and there's so much more to dig up. Agreed. Well, since we have talked a bit about UConn's lineups, just yesterday I put out a story on the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly about just what the numbers are saying about UConn's best lineups offensively, defensively, the one that's used the most, and then just some further insights into that. So if you want analysis like that dives into the numbers breakdowns stories that you can't find anywhere else sign up for the yukon women's basketball weekly it's a newsletter it shows up right in your inbox you can just put your name on the email list get free stories weekly once a week every thursday morning catching you up on everything happening in the world of yukon women's basketball stories news coming through here and there or you can become a premium member, get everything that we just talked about, stock watch, film rooms, all that sort of stuff. It's only $6 a month or $70 for the year. If you think about it this way, it's basically the price of one normal Starbucks drink per month. So signing up there helps support the podcast. We both write for the weekly. We are both very much involved and the podcast is very much tied into the weekly. All part of the same media family. Signing up there helps us keep doing what we do and supports what, I know I'm biased, but is the best coverage of the Yukon Huskies. So to do that, you go to yukonwbbweekly.com. You can put in your email, sign up there. No obligation to become a premium member, but if you would so choose... Again, $6 a month or $70 for the year. Speaking of things that Megan and I do, Slam came out with a double edition 
all about UConn. Megan wrote a couple of stories in there. I had a piece on the 2010 team. Which one did you have, Megan? Did you have 2013 and 14? 2014, yeah. So the first two Stewie years. Did you, as you were researching those two teams, I know you watched them as they happened, unlike me. I was 11 and 12 as the 2009-10 team went on its march. So I cannot say I have super strong memories of what was going on there. But during your research, did anything surprise you that you might have forgotten about those two teams? I think, like, my back of my head, I probably remember this, but, like, Stewie not being dominant her whole freshman year. Because I feel like we just think about Stewie as being, like, this best player in the world has just won at every level. But, like, it wasn't like she showed up in stores and, like, did what Paige did and, like, was, you know, dominant from day one. She had her ups and downs for sure in that first season. Well, she did for like the first month of her freshman year. Yeah, and then and kind of fell then off. the wheels came off for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> then Gino benched her against Baylor, and the NCAA tournament came, and she decided she was going to become the best player in the world. Yeah. <laughs> or at least in the country, she was probably still only the best player in the country at that point. It took a little while to get to the best player in the world, but yeah. We, we talk about it takes luck to win a national championship and unless you're just so much better than everyone else. And I think that's the case in 95 and 2002 and 09, 10, 14, 15, 16. Those teams did not need luck. 2013 got a nice little break when Louisville knocked Brittany Griner's Baylor team out. Oh, for sure. So there's always some luck involved. Yeah, Stewie just hit another level i think that's a really fun part of stewie's story how it wasn't like it was just something that started from day one there was a lot of adversity in there yeah exactly i think it's important to remember despite the fact it feels like she just like showed up and and dominated that's not (laughs) actually what happened (laughs) i also feel like it's important that like that team lost like four games because I feel like every time UConn loses a game, Twitter feels like, and obviously Twitter is not a great representation of the whole world, but it sounds like Twitter feels like the sky is falling every time they lose a game. I'm like that team lost four games and still won a national championship. You mean the people in my mention saying that Amari <laughs> should start after five yeah. <laughs> minutes against UCLA or that Gino's past his prime because everyone on the team is injured? are not necessarily (laughs) views of the entire world. (laughs) Exactly. The line mentions after the UCLA game were wild. And I was like, they lost the game with multiple injuries to a team that very clearly looks like a top two, three team in the country right now. The sky is not falling. If anything, these last few years should show how crazy it is that they are even like functional teams. Yeah. (laughs) With all the injuries they had. The fact that last year's team got to the Sweet 16, I think we kind of take for granted how how in trouble that team could have very well been and was for a lot of the year. They went through most of that season without Paige, without AZ. They didn't have Dorka, who ended up being really good for a month. They didn't have Caroline for most of that season. I mean, if they ever put someone's number up in the Huskies of Honor that wasn't an All-American, it should absolutely be Lou. No questions asked. Yeah. She was... Like, it's still... this incredible when you think about, like, her transferring from a low-major program to not being an All-American, but playing at darn near close to that level and then being drafted fifth overall. Or fourth overall. Was it fourth? I don't even remember anymore. It's just... Top five. Yeah, top five. If you, like, sit down and, like, think about that for more than five minutes, it's just, like... Wow, it's really insane. And also, whatever happened in the Ohio State game with her knee was apparently bad enough to keep her out the entire WNBA season. And she dropped 25 points and did all she could to drag UConn to the Elite Eight. Yeah. (laughs) That's why, like, I... Yeah, was Ohio State really ugly and a tough way to go? Sure. But that team wasn't getting past the Elite Eight because I don't think Lou would have played. And yeah. you don't have Lou that next round. I mean, 
maybe if you play Virginia Tech a hundred times, UConn wins games in there, but it would I don't think that next game would have gone very well. So it gave them something to be fired up about. Like if you lose the Elite Eight because lose hurt and you, you literally just got nothing left, then I feel like they can go out with their head high. But just the way it was such a collapse against Ohio State, maybe we haven't seen it yet. Maybe that ends up being a factor, but gave them that drive, that hunger to get going again. So maybe that's a better way to go out than just being put out of your misery eventually. The thing that I found amazing about the team that I wrote about, 0910, is that Renee Montgomery, who top five point guard in program history, it's in no particular order, Sue Bird, Jen Rosati, Mariah Jefferson. I actually don't know who else I would have in that top five besides Renee Montgomery. She graduates after 2009. Not only do they not even... They don't skip a beat. They win every single regular season game by double digits. They roll pretty much everyone that they face. And the only adversity they face the whole year is in the championship game when they score 12 points. But gee, why did they go undefeated? Because they had someone named Maya Moore who put the team on her back in that championship game, led them to a title. Tina Charles was also pretty good. I don't know if you've heard of her. So like, yeah, they had a lot of other pieces who I'm yeah. completely blanking on every single one now. I promise they had other players on the team, but I guess if you have Brianna, not Brianna Stewart, Maya Moore and Tina Charles, that can just paper over having a generational point guard. And it worked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel, like, I, don't know. I feel like people forget how good Maya Moore was. <laughs> they definitely do. Sets. This is, seems to say, I feel like, because she didn't play for so long in the W, like, she gets overlooked. Yeah, well, and not to dive too deep down this rabbit hole, but you talk about who are the best players in program history, and I can understand an argument for the people that have Diana first, saying that her surrounding cast, her junior and senior years, was so weak that she really put them on her back to go win the title, and I can understand that argument. And personally, I fall on the it's Brianna Stewart because the way I frame it is there's three players who are very clearly the top three in program history. Stewie, D, and Maya. It's not even close beyond those three. So really the only way that I think it's fair to measure, to, to rank those three, is to just go by the national championships. And Stewie mm-hmm. is, has four, Diana has three, and Maya has two. So Maya, Maya Moore is the third best player in program history when she might be the third best player in college basketball history. Like, yeah, (laughs) I'm not saying that's the argument I'm making, but I'm saying you could make an argument for those three being top three. And the other argument I make for Stewie over D is you just talked about the way that Stewie took off her freshman year in that NCAA tournament. She's the reason they won the national championship her freshman year. (laughs) She had help. She had other pieces around her, but without her breaking out the way she did and taking that next step as a freshman, they don't win. And it is not Diana's fault exclusively because her freshman year, because they lost Shea, they lost Svetlana. If those two don't get hurt, UConn wins four straight national championships. Actually, they win five straight national championships. And then this whole argument is mute. But Diana also had that horrific shooting performance against Notre Dame. And when the margins are this thin in these discussions, I think that gives the edge to Stewie over Diana. But you could also make an argument for Maya being number one. I'm, She's got statistically the best numbers of any UConn player and also had to carry the load on her own at times. And again, they lost Renee Montgomery and they won every single regular season game by double digits. So... They're all really good. Yeah, exactly. I think it's actually a, want... a a good problem to be debating. Which of your? Yeah. All right. Well, one last uh, one last thought on this train. But who would you have as number four? 
I get why people say it's Lobo because like the 95 team is the first one to win it. Who really is number four though? I honestly like would have to look at the numbers to like feel confident in like what I'm saying. I'm going to do it right now. Do you have a firm answer on it while I think about it? I think it's probably Tina. That's fair. Because I don't think she's in a tier of her own. It's not like she's the only other national player of the year. They they have like eight others or something crazy. Mm -hmm. But Tina was so good. And not that Lobo wasn't. But I, I think Tina doesn't get enough credit for how dominant she was. Maybe because she started her career a little slow. It's not like she, it was this steady progression where she took the same step and it was very linear. She had some rough patches for freshman and sophomore year before really exploding as a junior and even taking another step as a senior and becoming the national player of the year for some outlets. So I think it's probably her in terms of if we're if we're just strictly talking about player because in terms of program impact i think it would be hard to put anyone other than lobo number four because of how important that 95 team was because of how much of a presence she's had both in the sport and as the first hall of famer since then but just pure basketball and what happened during their yukon career not looking at what it meant for the program and anything like that i think it's tina yeah, that's fair. I would probably but, agree with that. I feel like well, this might be just me being a Fee fan, but like I feel like Fee probably has a case <laughs> in terms of, no, like in terms of her numbers. Like if you actually look at her numbers stacked up next to everyone's. But I was gonna say Fee's probably like number six in my book. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I'm not totally crazy to say she's fine. <laughs> Tina probably gets the edge. I mean they're like the but they're the two other players that are in like the 2000 point 1000 rebound club right like numbers wise yeah. it makes sense yeah is it okay to put fee six even though she didn't win national player of the year because she should have been national player of the year yeah i think that's fair because it's, but i could record like in three hours on how ridiculous that was so yeah <laughs> we'll have that podcast one day one we'll have days. some guests on for that one <laughs> we've been talking about it long enough yeah exactly next year is the well like, next season will be Gino's 40th season at UConn, so I think we'll do some fun history stuff next yeah. summer. And that can be one of the episodes, so... How ridiculous it is that she never won these. <laughs> that she wasn't even a finalist! Yeah. She wasn't even a finalist for some of these! So she was... Oh, God, we don't have to get into it, but... I also, like... <sighs> specifically remember talking about her on a podcast with relation to like the WNBA draft when she was graduating with I won't say who it was with because I don't want to call them out but and we were talking about like what her ceiling was in the WNBA and like I said her ceiling was like easily being an MVP candidate and got told that I was absolutely crazy and guess what she was an MVP candidate this year so look any GM that year could have called me and asked me which of the two UConn players should have gotten taken first, and I could have given you a very clear answer. Yeah. <laughs> like, nothing against Lou, but it was so easy to tell if you were around that team, the, yeah. their entire career, basically, that Fee was going to have a really good WNBA career and just had it. Gino could have told you that, too. I mean, anyone. Anyone. But this is not an Afisa Collier podcast yet. Yeah, yet. <laughs> Eventually. Eventually. <laughs> not quite. If she wins WNBA MVP one year, we're going to have to record like an entire episode about it because I have so many things to say. <laughs> we should just get her on. I think we could get her on. Yeah. <laughs> I, I say that knowing that I've gotten a grand total of two guests on this podcast in the history and we're going into the senior year of the podcast. But I think she could be attainable. So, Fee, why didn't you win National Player of the Year and why is it still an outrage? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if she would comment on it. 
I wish. I don't think she would. She's too diplomatic. But yeah. I think Alex would would have yeah. something to say about it. Her husband. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> and he would say something, for sure. <laughs> yes. He does not shy away from controversial takes. <laughs> his, his, like, controversial takes are always great takes, though. Yeah, and people love to, like, hate on him for them, but they are usually, like, fair. <laughs> you know that meme, this is so random, but the, like, why are you booing me? I'm right. It's him every time he has a hot take on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we will have plenty of time in the future to talk about the past, but let's look ahead to Texas on Sunday. I, if you told me at the beginning of the season that UConn would be the lower-ranked team going to this matchup, I would not have believed you. Texas is number 10. UConn's number 11. At Texas, which UConn's had some trouble there in the past, it's a Vic Schaefer team, which means first team to 35 wins. <laughs> and it's also a UConn team that certainly does not have things figured out on the offensive end. So give us the scouting report on Texas and what you're expecting from this matchup. Yeah, obviously their defense is going to be good. I mean, their offensive numbers look good right now, but like I would just take everything on their resume at the moment with like a grain of salt because every team they have played has been worse than Minnesota. Like the only team that UConn has played that's even comparable to the competition that Texas has played so far was Dayton, and we all know what they did to Dayton. So I think that kind of sums up who Texas has played. They've played a lot of those teams that are in that, you know, 200 range of, like, her hoop sets running that are just not great. So, yeah, you score a bunch of points against them. I don't know that means you're scoring a bunch of points against a above-average team. I mean, they still have Rory Harmon, who didn't play in the matchup against UConn last year, so I think that's going to be important for UConn to not let her do something like Zanaya Rivers did and go off for, for 30 points. And that's going to be key. Um, she's definitely the best player on this team. But, I mean, to me, I think this one is more about UConn going out and finding ways to execute on their offense despite playing a good defense. Like, they need to find ways to have people, other than just Paige score the basketball and and run their offense against the Texas defense. So, I like to play this game. In the pantheon of opponents that UConn has played, let's, like, throw them on a spectrum. Dayton's on the far left, I think we'll say, as the worst team that UConn's played. And UCLA is on the far right. Let's not clip that and take that out of context. (laughs) With NC State right nearby. Where does... Texas fall in this range of quality of opponent? I would say Texas is probably the third best team they've played. But they're not on the same level as UCLA and NC State either. Like, I think there's a, a, a tear down from there. Um, I mean, I think it's hard to tell right now because, like, like I said, they haven't played anyone. So, like, you can only take so much from watching a bunch of basically glorified exhibition games. Right? Like, there's just only so much you can get out of that. If you watch UConn play a bunch of teams at Dayton's level, you would probably think they had no issues. So, um, I think it's hard to tell. I think this is going to be very eye-opening about where Texas is at, but I think you can guarantee that they're going to come in and run a good defense and that UConn needs to be prepared for that. Gee, when did we start talking about the UConn men's basketball team? (laughs) I know, they had the MSG games, and they have Kansas coming up, but my god, if I have to watch them beat a UNH team again, ugh. That's not fun for anyone. Who enjoys beating teams by 45 points? UConn did that for 10 years in the American. No one enjoyed it. Exactly. You you don't learn that much about a team from watching them beat some team that's never going to sniff the NCAA tournament. Like by 45 points it's just not exciting and it doesn't teach us anything about what this team is like yay congrats you're undefeated like it would be really bad if you weren't even just like these middle tier opponents of like Kansas and Minnesota you still learn something from that game that you wouldn't learn if that was I don't know BC 
I'm trying to think of like some local team that UConn would beat by a million that's not also like a low major. UMass? Yeah. No, but UMass is like decent. Yeah. Or they were. Yeah, I would rather see them play UMass than most of the teams on the schedule. (laughs) Yeah. So it'll be another data point. I feel like it's it's kind of a lame take to have. I understand that. But it's just all going to depend on does one of the freshmen do something? Like, I'm kind of feeling a Caden Samuels, you know, re-breakout party. Just going off from three. Because it feels like with her, the entire performance depends on how that first three goes. If that thing falls, she ain't missing. If that thing doesn't go in, sub her out, get her a towel, tell her, uh, get ready for the next one. So. Yeah. I think the other thing was, like, Texas is like they're probably not going to shoot the three well, so that's going to allow UConn's defense to be more effective than that. Like they could deploy the same strategy they used against UCLA, and it would actually probably work. So you're saying if Texas hits like its first three threes, just shut the game off and go about your day because you know what's coming. <laughs> probably. I mean, they just don't take a lot of threes in general. I think they're averaging very few threes, and no one's a great three point shooter, even though they've played no one. So. Yeah, I mean, if it's just one of those days, it's one of those days, but beyond that. Vic Schaefer is nothing if not consistent. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I think Texas is currently giving LSU a run for their money on the um, for non-conference strength schedule. So. I mean, LSU has actually played people, though. They're they playing... Played- Virginia Colorado. Tech tonight. And tomorrow. It's Virginia Tech. Tomorrow they play. Oh, it's tomorrow? Yeah. So, oh, they are playing two games. To be fair, the Virginia Tech game, they had no choice in playing. That was scheduled for them. <laughs> yeah, but it's but, not like they played no, they are, total they are cupcakes playing yeah, yeah, in the Caymans. Yeah. Well, they did a one game. They played Niagara. Let's just see how they played Virginia, which they only beat by three points. So, that Virginia Tech game should be interesting. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that is true. Niagara is a fake school, so. <laughs> There's definitely someone listening that I just insulted that went to Niagara. Yep. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I actually don't know anything about Niagara. But before we wrap, I would just like to give a shout out to Madeline Bell, who had Chasing Perfection as her top podcast of 2023 in her Spotify wrapped. So, if anyone. I. Madeline, I think you're the only one. So uh, thanks for listening and being a fan. If we pop up for anyone else, please let us know. I do have a confession. This is really random, but it made me think of it. I am actually not even subscribed to my own podcast on... I use Apple Podcasts. I'm not subscribed to Chasing Perfection. Is that is that bad? I'm subscribed on Spotify. I like I can't stand the thought of like listening to my own voice back. It's like my least favorite thing in the world. <laughs> so yeah, like, probably I, not because I would never choose to listen to it. <laughs> right, like I'm not gonna listen to it. So I don't know and any subscription numbers only benefit me and I don't really care about that. Like only benefit us right. as a show. Uh I don't care about that. I, I think I've been present for every single podcast, so I know what happens. But <laughs> Yeah, I, I like. I used to have it subscribed when we were on the blog feed. If you've been around long enough, that I would just like get an extra download, then I would delete it. But I think once we switched over, I never actually went through the trouble of switching. So, whoops. But that's why we have all you listeners, who we love dearly. So, on that note, I hope everyone had a happy Thanksgiving, happy almost December. That'll do it.